when I think of uh, the dining room table, I oftentimes think of family dinners. Um, if you have a dining room table, you can think of family dinners. Maybe you can think back to some of your childhood family dinners, or you can think back to some of the family dinners that you have um, now with your family. And I was thinking back as a kid um, and thinking of some of the meals that my parents used to make um, more often. Every family has like their go-to meals, like when you're rushing, you got baseball that night or something, you're like, oh, we got we to gotta eat something quick. Um, every family has their go-to meals. Here are some of my, my family's go-to meals. I texted my mom about it this week, trying to remember some of them. So homemade spaghetti is one. Uh, what makes it homemade is sugar. Lots of sugar is what I found out. That's, that, and that's why it's so delicious. Every time I eat it, like, this is the best spaghetti I've ever had. Um, it's because it's like four, five, six, seven, ten tablespoons of sugar in that, and it makes it so good, but it's great. Um, we did um, baked chicken with noodles. That was the we don't have a lot of time meal, but I thought it was great. It was spray, spray butter on those noodles, baked chicken, it was great. Um, what else did we do? Um, we did uh, pork chops and beans, and if my mom was feeling fancy, she would put bacon on those pork chops, and those were real good. Um, and then the meal that we would make a lot that I actually didn't like all that much um, was um, ham steak with pineapple on it. You ever have that? Yep. So um, that wasn't my favorite, and my parents didn't make us eat um, certain things. So like we wouldn't, I didn't like the pineapple, the cooked pineapple, you know what I'm saying? Um, but we used to have family meals. Um, we also used to like go to my grandparents' house about once a month, do a family meal. We got older, we still do family meals for holidays and, and dinners. At my house, we do family meals. Um, I've been to my in-laws for their family meals. I've been part of a lot of meals at the table. And if you're like me, you're like every family that I've ever known, um, every once in a while, there will be a family meal that you have that you planned and you were excited for it and you got the nice fancy plates or you didn't want to do dishes, so you got the nice fancy paper plates out and you got ready to go and everyone sits down and eats and then something happens at that meal. Someone gets a little offended, someone gets upset. Um, something gets brought up. Maybe someone says a joke that the other person didn't take as a joke, and all of a sudden it caused a fight. Or maybe somebody said a joke, and they did like the, I'm just joking. Don't be so sensitive when you know they weren't joking. They were trying to get a message across, but in a form of a joke, so you can't get mad. Um, not that I've ever done that, but that's people do that, right? So maybe that you've been there for that, or um, politics gets brought up, and all of a sudden you can just feel the tension start to move. If you're not part of the discussion, it's kind of entertaining. It's like, your fa- it's like your, your entertainment for the meal. You just start to watch these people start to fight, 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 fight. Um, but if you're part of it, it's not as fun. And I have seen uh, meals, so many meals, our family, extended family, my in-laws, whatever, I have seen meals that have ended badly because someone got really upset. And how do you respond when you get really upset? Most of the time, the person gets upset. What do they do? They get up. I'm not eating at this table. And they get up and they leave. You've probably seen that happen, right? You maybe have done that. You have probably at some point seen some family member or maybe you got upset and you said, I have to get up from this table. I need to stop fellowshipping with this family. I need a break. I need to move. I need to do something because I cannot sit here any longer with this family, I have to get out, and you storm out. Seen it happen many, many, many times. Becoming new, which is our series, new, it's not about being happy all the time. Becoming new is not about um, keeping you from storms. Becoming new is not about preventing wounds in your life, wounds that maybe people have put on you or your family or um, friends. It's not about that. 
Becoming new, like we've been talking about, is about allowing Jesus to continue the process of morphing you into His likeness. It is a process. It's not a destination you reach. Salvation is not, okay, I have salvation. I'm good to go now. Salvation is a process where you continue to look more and more and more like Him. And I believe one of the biggest ways that we are made new in Christ is through two words, forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. You know what forgiveness is, right? You understand that. Here's, here's the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the intentional and voluntary process by which one who may initially feel victimized undergoes a change in feelings and attitude regarding a given offense and overcomes negative emotions such as resentment or vengeance. Forgiveness is you decide, you know what, I am going um, to accept their apology or I am just going to forgive them. I'm going to that that thing that they did to me, that wrong they did to me, that wound that they have done to me, I'm going to let it go, and I'm not going to hold on to it anymore. But the common misconception about forgiveness is that forgiveness is about letting the person who offended you off the hook. It's about them. I'm going to let you off the hook. You did something wrong to me. You're the one who, who wounded me. You're the one who made me the victim, so I'm going to let you off the hook. But that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is about letting yourself off the hook for what they did to you. Uh, Lewis B. Smeads has a great quote that says, to forgive is to set a person free and discover the person was you. That's what forgiveness is. You're setting someone free, and that person is not the person you're forgiving. It's you. Those chains that that, that wound put on you, you're letting that go. And forgiveness is essential to our own well-being. Let's take spirituality out of this for a second. We'll bring it back, but let's take it out for a second. Forgiveness when it comes to your mental health and your emotional health is scientifically proven that you need to do it. Um, the Mayo Clinic did a study on forgiveness. They found that people that do not forgive, but rather they hold grudges against somebody, um, when they do that, they have more anger, more resentment, more thoughts of revenge. And when you have those thoughts, it hurts your physical and mental state. It literally hurts you. But those that learn to forgive... Um, the, the clinic found that they have healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a strong immune system, improved heart health, and improved self-esteem. All from people learning how to forgive somebody that has wronged you. Lack of forgiveness does major damage to your physical well-being. It does damage to your emotional well-being. And it also does damage to your spiritual well-being. It is harder and harder to trust a God who forgives when you cannot forgive. It's harder and harder to see your state because of your sin when you and your need for forgiveness when you cannot forgive somebody else. That's why when Jesus talks about uh, forgiveness, he says this, John chapter 6, verse, or uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you forgive, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Now, we understand that salvation is not a if-then. It's not a quid pro quo. That's not what salvation is, right? It's not if you do this, then this will happen. We, we, that's what grace is. It is never God saying, hey, you have to do this, and then you, when you do that, you can earn salvation. But this sure sounds like if you do this, then this will happen, doesn't it? If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Sure sounds like that. But what this is actually showing is that when you are not willing to forgive, 
When you are not willing to do that, then your heart, it's, it's reflecting your heart, your heart and your understanding of grace. If you do not forgive someone, then you do not understand properly that you have been forgiven. So you can't, if you can't forgive somebody, then maybe it's because you don't truly understand the forgiveness you've been given. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. That is why forgiveness is so important. So how do we forgive? How do we start that process? If forgiveness is beneficial for us, we should learn it, right? We should practice it. If Jesus says, hey, you need to forgive so that way uh, the Heavenly Father can forgive you, then we should really understand and try to apply forgiveness in our own lives. And I'm not talking about the forgiveness when there's two sides to the story, when you are, have received wrong that person didn't mean to. I'm talking about when you have been wounded and you have been victimized and it is solely the other person's fault. How do we take those real hurts, those real pains that a lot of us face, and how do we learn to forgive? How do we learn to do that? Well, Ryan Howes, um, he's a licensed therapist, and he wrote in Psychology Today in 2009, he wrote this article on the four elements of forgiveness. If you have your notes, you can write this down. Um, but here are the four elements of forgiveness. A, express the emotion. B, understand why. C, rebuild safety. And four, let go. Now, I know a lot of you are freaking out that it says A, B, C, four, right? You guys notice that? I know some of you are right now like, oh, here's why, here's why. It's not a mistake. A, B, and C, you can do in any order. doesn't matter the order. You can, whichever one you need to do, but we need to do all three, all three of those things, A, B, and C, need to be done before you can get to number four, letting it go. Express the emotion, understand why, rebuild safety, and once those three things are done, then you can do what you ultimately need to do, let go. Let go of the offense. Express the emotion. You need to express how the injustice made you feel. If the injustice makes you feel angry, those feelings need to be deeply felt and they need to be expressed. If, the, uh, if, the, um, if it makes you sad, you have to express those feelings of sadness. You have to feel those feelings and express those. Express the emotion. It helps get it off your chest. This can be done. You can express it to the person that did it. Um, or you can express it to a therapist or a really close friend of yours that um, you know has both people's interests at heart. Or you can express it to an empty chair. But either way, it has to be expressed. You have to feel that emotion and express it. You have to do that. Then um, he would argue you have to understand why. Your brain is automatically going to search for an explanation. Just what it does. It will start to think, okay, why did this happen? Why would they do this to me? What, what happened here? You will automatically do that. And it's going to search and search and search until it has an explanation that it feels is satisfactory, that it is satisfied with that explanation. And you may not agree with the rationale that your brain comes up with, but figuring out some kind of reason is important. And sometimes the reason is just pure randomness. You can't find a reason, but that's a reason. You have to find a way you can understand why it happened. When you do that, you, can also re- you, have to, you also have to rebuild safety. The forgiver needs to feel a reasonable amount of assurance that the act won't reoccur. Whether it comes in the form of a sincere apology from the perpetrator or a, a stronger defense against future attacks and you set boundaries and you go, you know what, this is, this is not going to happen anymore, so that's why I'm going to protect myself and rebuild safety. Whatever you need to do, you need to feel safe. You need to feel like this is not, by all reasonable accounts, it's not going to happen again. Of course, we can never be 100% that we're going to feel safe, but we have to have this feeling of safety, like we are not going to be a victim again. And once we're able to do all three of those things, we have to do number four, let go. 
You've got to let it go. We have to, this, this has to be our end goal. We have to let whatever that offense was, let it go. When we're able to let it go, that is called forgiveness. I am forgiving them. I am letting it go. If you have that thing that you're having trouble letting go, maybe it's because you need to work on one of these three. Express the emotion, understand why, and rebuild safety. Maybe that's why. But eventually it has to lead us to letting go. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness. But what's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation? Because there's a difference. I believe that Jesus shows us that difference. So if your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 20, or your Bible apps, we'll put it on the screen as well. Throughout this entire series, we have been um, talking about the Passover meal, the meal that the disciples had with Jesus right before he was arrested, crucified, and ultimately came back to life three days later, which is what we celebrate for Easter. Um, but this, what we're going to be talking about at, today is actually after all that happened. Um, scholars believe that the disciples are actually back in that same room that they had Passover. We don't know that for sure, but they believe they're back in that same room that they're at the table with Jesus, the, everything else we've been talking about. And we get to see here a picture of what reconciliation actually looks like through Jesus. So John chapter 20, we start at verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So at this point, Jesus, um, Jesus died. He came back to life three days later, but the disciples had not seen him yet. They're back in that upper room. The doors are locked because they're terrified. They think the purge is about to happen, and the only people that they're allowed to kill are them. That's what they think is happening. Because they just, Jesus was just crucified, and that's their leader. Everyone knows that they follow Jesus, so they're terrified. The doors are locked. My guess is they're probably not sleeping, or they have somebody at watch making sure no one comes in, because they think they're going to be taken and crucified just like Jesus did. They're trying to figure out a plan. They didn't go to see if Jesus came back to life three days later, even though Jesus said he was going to. They weren't waiting by the gravesite. They were hiding behind locked doors out of fear of what was going to happen to them. That's where they are. Two one verse 19, Jesus came and, st- and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine the disciples' joy at this point? They think they are going to be crucified because their Savior, the person they've been following, was crucified, and they believed he was dead. They did not think he was coming back. And then all of a sudden, he shows up, and they are just overjoyed the fact that the Savior is still here. The Savior has come back. They're overjoyed about it. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus talks about forgiveness, but he doesn't talk about it as, hey, depending on how bad it was to you, like, then you should forgive. No, it's not an option for followers of Jesus. It's a mandate. You have to forgive. You must forgive. It is a sign that the Holy Spirit is still working in you. Forgiveness. You have to forgive. Forgiveness is part of following Him, and you have to forgive anyone and everyone. This amazing moment has the disciples, they're all there, but there's one person that's missing. And if you've been in church long enough, you know who this person was, don't you? Here's who was missing in verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Um, 
I would say, I said this in family service, but I wish they just called Thomas Didymus, because doubting Didymus would have worked a lot better, right? But Thomas, also known as Diddy, Diddy's there with his disciples, and the, he wasn't there when Jesus showed up. So the disciples are like overjoyed. They see Thomas. We don't know where Diddy was, but he was somewhere else doing his thing. So they eventually see him. like, hey, guess what? Jesus, he, he's back. He's back. Can you believe he's actually here? He came back. So you probably know what Thomas Diddy Combs did at this response, right? Verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. I'm not going to believe. Now, I, I said this two weeks ago, but before you start knocking Thomas for doubting, I would have doubted too. You probably would have doubted too. Because Thomas really believed Jesus died. So he's like, no, you don't come back to life three days later. I need proof of this. I mean, I don't believe in aliens or ghosts. I don't believe in either of them. Some of you do. It's fine. I don't believe in either of them. I need proof. Elon Musk don't believe in aliens, and he's getting us to Mars in 10 years. So if he doesn't believe in them, I don't think they're real. And then ghosts, who knows? I'm not sure. So I would need proof too. If I'm here, I'd be like, no, I need to see that man's side. I need to see his hands. I'll do the same thing as Thomas. But Thomas, he starts doubting. Next verse, a week later. Do you notice that? A week later. He said, no, if I don't see his sides and I don't see his hands, I'm not going to believe it. And then a week goes by. Jesus doesn't pop out of the closet and go, well, I'm here, surprise. No, he lets him sit for a week. A week in his doubts. A week with his questions. An entire week where he said, if I, don't, I need proof. And he doesn't get proof for a week. You catch that, right? Because we have questions, and we have doubts, and we have prayer requests, and we come to God, and at times we want it immediately. And Jesus made Thomas wait a week before he showed up. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Because if your faith needs an immediate explanation, you cannot sustain it in the trials of life. God will allow you to wait and wait. And I believe that we can learn more in the waiting than we do in the answer. So a week goes by. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I don't know if you noticed that one part, the doors were locked again. They're still afraid. They're still terrified. They saw Jesus come back to life, and a week later, they are in the upper room, and the doors are still locked. That should preach to us. Because that shows that no matter who you are, you have, maybe you have met Jesus and you have a faith in Jesus, but you are still working and struggling. The disciples, even a week after seeing the risen Savior, are still afraid of what could happen next. If they are still a work in progress, then we are all still a work in progress. They're sitting there with the doors locked, but then Jesus shows up. He shows up, and here's what he says to Thomas. And he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, Lord, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, and blessed, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Skeptical Thomas, doubting Thomas, doubting Didymus. He's there and he sees Jesus. But Jesus didn't stop there and say, look, I'm here. He says, no, 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 Thomas, you have your doubts. Touch my scars. 
the hands where they put the nails right in between. Feel there. It's there. My feet, my side where they put the spear. Feel the scars that I have and believe. Here's what I believe he's saying. These scars that I have, that you felt, that, that you've seen, that you know are there, they're for you. These scars are here to show you that I have not left. Here to show you that I will not leave you, that my payment is enough for you. Believe that I am enough to pay for your sins. And when it came time for Jesus to prove his presence to someone who was doubting, he didn't do it by just preaching at him. He didn't do it by showing his successes. Jesus proved his presence by showing off his scars to Thomas. That's how he proved his presence. But a question I've been wrestling with this week that I don't know if you've ever thought of this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But why did Jesus even have scars? Like, why did he have them? Because he was dead. Three days later, he came back to life. And there was healing that happened, right? Because I'm not sure how much you know about crucifixions, but when you're crucified, you don't die from the, the wounds in your hands or your feet. You die from drowning, so you, you're crucified like this, and they put the nails in between your bones there, so that way, whenever you need a breath of air, because your lungs aren't to fill up with your blood, you have to lift yourself up like this, and it's extremely painful. That's the point. So the whole time you keep doing this just to get some kind of air, because, and it's painful every time you do it until you cannot do it anymore, and you drown to death. That's how Jesus died. But Jesus didn't come back to life with a bunch of blood in his lungs. That was healed. There was other parts of him that were healed, but yet... He still had scars here, scar here, and still had scars on his feet. Couldn't he have been completely healed, right? We have to believe that he could have, there, there didn't have to be scars. But yet, he came back to life with the scars. Why did he have the scars that were once wounds? I believe because wounds show reconciliation. See, forgiveness, forgiveness is all about one person. Forgiveness is all about what you do. That's what it is. The other person doesn't have to do anything. You still choose to forgive. But reconciliation, that takes two people. That's the difference. Reconciliation is two. It is putting your hardships aside so that you continue the relationship. Jesus commands us to forgive. He doesn't command us to reconcile. There are times we should. But there are times for your own safety that you shouldn't. But yet Jesus the Savior of the world forgives us and reconciles with us. Which takes two. Not just us, but He has to do the work. That's what He has done. See, you are forgiven, which is amazing. We don't deserve it. We have all done things wrong. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. But Jesus doesn't just forgive you. He reconciles you so that you can have a relationship with Him. But you can't be reconciled until you are first forgiven. And you can't be forgiven if you don't also forgive others. Because when you don't forgive, you aren't understanding the forgiveness that you have received. Now, I know that this message is very easy to preach and a lot harder to apply. I know while I was talking, some of you might have even been thinking, but Eric, if you knew, if you knew the wounds that I had, if you knew the pain that I had, if you knew what I went through, I, I can't forgive that person. Maybe you think, I can't forgive my dad. 
he left. I don't even know my dad. He's been gone, or he's been around, but he's been a terrible father. I can't forgive him. You don't know the, the pressure that my mom put on me. Can't forgive her. I can't forgive my kids. They treat me like crap. I can't forgive them. They barely treat me like a parent. I can't, I can't do that. If you knew what my spouse did to me, I can't forgive them. If you knew what my friend did to me, I cannot forgive them. Listen, I know that you have been hurt. We've all been hurt, and your hurt is real. Your pain is real. I'm not here to tell you just to get over it, because we can't just get over it. There are some deep wounds that all of us have. I know you have wounds. But Jesus, through reconciliation, turns your wounds into scars. There's a big difference. He doesn't just tell Thomas, hey, touch my wounds. Just touch my scars. You see where they were? Touch there. Wounds, they show that you've been hurt. Scars show that you've been healed. That's the difference. Forgiveness doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. Forgiveness isn't a feeling that you have. Forgiveness is faith. It takes faith to know that the same place where they put the nails is the same place where the healing begins. It's why we need to forgive. Because when you forgive, you become reconciled. And Jesus is going to make you new by reconciling you at the table. Where we fellowship with Him, where we are able to have a relationship with Him, Jesus makes you new by reconciling you at the table. Christ invites us to the table. We are able to have fellowship with the creator of the universe, but most of us, at least for me, storms of life happen, and what I normally do when storms of life happen, I get up from the table. I storm out. No, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Christ is continually calling us back to the table. He's there waiting. He continually prepares for you to return. And all he asks is that you come back and have a seat. That's what he asks us to do. But I get it. I'm too wounded. I, I understand that. Jesus can turn your wounds into scars. Some of you are having trouble coming back to the table because there's that person that you cannot forgive. And that unforgiveness is keeping you a prisoner. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Don't keep yourself in those chains. We need to learn to forgive. We need to let it go. Jesus is waiting for you at the table and your lack of forgiveness might be preventing you from ever sitting back down. But some of us, it's not that other person we need to forgive. You know we need to forgive? Ourselves. We know what we've done. We know our past. We know the mistakes we've made. And we are having trouble forgiving ourselves. I get it. But Christ is in the business of helping you with your behaviors, morphing you more into Him so that your wound over time over time, just like it took a week for him to show up to Thomas, over time will turn into scars. So what I'm going to ask you is to let it go. Free yourself. You are forgiven. 
You are loved. You are invited. You are reconciled. Christ is waiting for you at the table. All you need to do is take a seat. So like we've been doing throughout the series, we're going to close with communion. Uh, and again, you, you do not have to be an owner of Impact Church or consider Impact Church a church home to take communion. This is invited. This is open to anyone here that would, that would like to take it. We just ask that you are a follower of Christ. And if that is you and you're, you're somebody that maybe isn't sure about this, but you want to come back and take that scene and be reconciled, you can do that through communion. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and um, we're going to go and grab our elements. We're going to take a seat. I invite you to open your elements. There's two different things you'll have to open when you get your communion. Um, the bread and the juice are all in one thing. Go and open it, but do not take it. We will take it together. But as, this, um, cl- as the worship team plays this, close the song, and as you go ahead and get your elements and take, take a seat, um, take a seat, open them back up, and I want you to think about what we talked about today, forgiveness and reconciliation. Because I believe there's people in this room that need to learn to forgive. You need to forgive someone. You need to forgive yourself. I want you to take this time to let it go, to give it to the God who turns your wounds into scars. So this time, I want to invite everyone to stand up, go grab your elements, open them up, and then you can take a seat as we play this closing song.